Good morning. Welcome out to Vail. My name is Ted Max. I can serve on staff here as the lead pastor. We are glad you are here this weekend. If you're in the room, if you could help me welcome those joining us online, we're glad you're with us today. Thanks for being here. Um, there's a lot of you with us today. So Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Texas, Utah, Virginia, Wisconsin, the list goes on and on. Those of you in the state of Illinois, we're glad you are here joining us. I want to take a second, real fast, two things. Before I dive into this week's uh, message is I recognize um, as our church is filling up, it can be real inconvenient. Convenient. Um, I stood in the back today and watched as people were coming in trying to find seats, and uh, we were making people move so that other people could get in. And I know, like, it could be easy, but like, I know it's good. People are coming to church, but no one likes getting asked to be moved. Um, no one likes to have to scoot in. Sometimes you're like, I like a space between me, um, and I totally get that. I just want to recognize that. In fact, they usually say a church is full when it reaches eighty percent. Um, and so we're past that today. Uh, we were past that at the nine o'clock and uh, four o'clock on Saturday, starting to climb up into that region. And these are good things. And I say it because I want to remind you that we actually have more room on Saturday than we do on Sundays. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been saying, hey, if you could help us out, I'm moving now to, hey, if this is your church, if you love this church um, and you're willing to make the sacrifice, help us out by moving to Saturday. I've got room to add another service on Saturday, which we're making preparations and plans to go back to two on Saturday. It'll open up 700 more seats. Uh, which is great, great problem to have. Uh, but the reason why I'm asking, and I just need to give it to you really honestly here, all the data says that if someone's new to faith or not a follower of Jesus and they wanna check out church, they will not come on a Saturday, they'll come on a Sunday. They're gonna come to this service. In fact, some of you, that might be you. And we're glad you are here, which is why I'm asking to try to create room so that more people like you can come and experience what God has for you in this place. And so if you're one of those people that can make the move starting next week, help us out, come to Saturday. The moment we see Saturday reach about 80%, which is getting there, we're going to launch to two Saturdays to create more space. And then someone asked me what happens after that. We'll probably build a new building. So um, we're going to figure it out as God moves in this place. But can we just celebrate God? He's good, right? We're thankful for what he's doing in this place. It's amazing. All right, today I get to go into the next week, uh, week two of Anxious for Nothing, and I'm really excited about it. All right, so I'm gonna dive right in here because I wanna set it up real fast. Uh, last week, I talked about the fact that when it comes to anxiety or nervousness or fear of the unknown, uh, it usually comes down to two areas. It's usually mental, our mind, or spiritual. Those are the two areas that we carry this anxiety, this fear of unknowns. In fact, I have found that some of the greatest battles in life will actually be fought in your mind, right? I, I don't know if you've experienced that, but I have as a pastor, I see this a lot. Like you can meet someone that looks strong on the outside, like they seem strong, but yet on the inside, they're battling where they feel weak, right? I've met people who feel like they have a strong relationship and you might look and say, man, that marriage is so strong, but what you don't know is what's going on inside is that it's actually a mess. It's hanging by a thread. There are things that we can perceive from the outset, and yet there's a lot of things that can go on internally, emotionally, and spiritually that we carry and they weigh us down. They hold us back. And that's the reason we're doing this series. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna actually dive into a practical set of tools for how we deal with the fear of unknown, with anxiety, with nervousness, things that keep you from being everything that God wants you to be. And so to do that, I wanna take you to our key passage for this series, and we're gonna read it, and then today we're gonna to dive a little deeper into it. And so we're gonna pick up in Philippians chapter four, verse four through seven, here's what it says. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Say rejoice. All right, now this is just good. I left this out last week because I wanted to save it for this week. Uh, the author of this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he's writing these words, really important context for you, he's in prison, all right? Just, I don't know about you, but when I read it, it changes my perspective because I think if I was in prison, I think I'd have a hard time penning these words, 
right? I'm not sure I would write to you like, God is so good. He's so sovereign. I'm in prison. I'd be like, hey, God, this would be a good time to come get me out of prison, right? So, but he writes these words. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm gonna go ahead and say it again, rejoice. And then he goes on to say, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And then he says, do not be anxious about anything. He said, don't let anything hold you back, hold you down. Don't let anxiety weigh your life down. He says, don't do it. He says, but instead, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the tool that he lays out here. He says, instead of allowing anxiety to weigh you down, why don't you instead go to the source of power that you need to overcome that anxiety and find God's peace? He says, I think you should pray and you should walk in a space of supplication. Now, some of you are probably like, what's supplication? I'm so glad you asked. Um, Supplication simply means humble begging. It means to humble yourself and to ask and to beg God to step in on your behalf. And so it's basically just the type of prayer you pray. And I think it's really important to highlight this because as we get into this subject, I want to kind of highlight one really big important thing, and this is it. Anxiety is not a sin, all right? Now, you might think, well, why did you have to say that? Of course, it's not a sin. But there's some of you, you grew up in church being told that it was. And here's why you were told. You were told that if you're anxious, you're not trusting God. It's the sin of not having faith in God, and therefore, you are sinning by being anxious. And I would actually tell you that's not true. In fact, let me defend it. I'll show you why it's not true. In the Bible, there's this really great moment with Jesus when he's about to go to the cross. He's about to grow and face crucifixion. He actually has Passover with some of his best friends on the entire planet. And then he takes them out to a garden to pray right before he's arrested and taken to his sham trial. Then he's put on a cross and he's killed. It says that in the garden, he went off and he prayed. It says that he left his disciples behind. He went off just about a stone's throw away. And there he kneeled and prayed. And if you remember, he was stressed about something. In fact, he prayed a very specific prayer. He said, Father, if it be possible, would you let this cup pass me by? And then he said, but not my will, your will be done. Here's what he's basically saying. God, if there's another plan in place, I'd like to go with that plan because this whole cross thing that I'm about to face, I don't want to do it. I'm very nervous about it. I'm anxious about it. In fact, so much so that it says that he actually sweats blood. There's a rare condition called hematridosis, And hematridosis actually means that the capillaries in your blood vessels actually burst under pressure and stress, and they mix with your sweat. And so when you sweat, you actually sweat blood. That's what Jesus experienced. He was so stressed out about what he was about to face on the cross that he actually said, Jesus cried out to God, said, Father, if it be possible, would you please let this cup pass me? You see, he experienced anxiety. It wasn't a sin to be anxious, but what he modeled was the answer he went to prayer and he trusted his father to sustain him and to give him the strength that he needed. If we were to look at anxiety from a clinical point of view, it would be defined thus. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease about an approaching event or something with an uncertain outcome. Like I read that and I just find that funny because like that's life. Life is filled with uncertain outcomes. This week has uncertain outcomes. Like This is what anxiety is founded in. It's the fear of the unknown. And yet I would actually go one step further to say that anxiety is something more for us as followers of Jesus. In fact, let me show you. If we base it on what Philippians says, 
Here's what it actually would say. It would say that anxiety is the signal alerting you that it's time to pray. It's just a signal. It's a signal. And a signal's not a bad thing. It's just a thing, right? I, I, I reference it this way. If, how many people in here drive a car? You have a vehicle? Let me see real quick. Most of you have a car, right? All right. Um, it's kind of like a check engine light. I don't know if you ever had one of those come on. Like you're driving along, all of a sudden you get like the oil light or the engine light. And, and there's usually two responses in here. There's some of you that when you see the light, your instant response is, I need to call somebody, right? I need to get this scheduled. I need to get it in the shop with someone who's gonna fix it. I need this light turned off because that light is gonna bother me. I don't like it. There's others of you, you just take black electrical tape and you just put it right over the top of it. <laughs> You're like, problem solved. It's magic. It's just gone. You ignore it, right? And I think anxiety is the same way. There are some of you that you just live with anxiety. You just learned it. You're like, hey, it's just part of life. I'm just going to live with it. The warning sign is there, but you know what? I'll just keep, and eventually it'll go away, right? The light will eventually turn itself off. It will solve its own problem until I find something new and a new anxiety will replace the one that I currently have. And that's just the cycle that I'm going to live in. But there's others of you who'd say, hey, if I could get that light turned off, I'd feel more comfortable knowing that that signal has been taken care of. And what the Bible would say is when anxiety enters your life, when the fear of unknown kind of rises to the surface, that's the moment to get down on your knees and pray to a God who cares about your needs. He says, this is that moment. And so then the question becomes, well, what qualifies as, you know, stuff I should pray about? Like what, what meets the level that God would say now is the time to pray? And so let me just kind of give you some advice. I'll give you something that, that I think is true. I would say this, if it's big enough to worry about, if it's big enough to worry about. And this could be anything. It could be small things. Like some of you are anxious about a bunch of small things. Like nothing big's going on, but it's a lot of small things add up. And before you know it, you're like, I feel overwhelmed because there's lots of things happening in my life. There's lots of little pieces that are unknown. And I just don't like that. Some of you, it's something specific. Some of you, it's a doctor's appointment that you either are going to or you've been to. And it has caused you a lot of anxiety. Some of you, it's your kids. It's decisions they're making, the choices they're making, the way they're living, and you're watching it from a distance knowing that you can't do anything about it right now, but it's causing you so much anxiety as you aren't sure what's gonna happen to them. Others, it's relationship, it's relational. For some of you, it's finances. Some of you, it's a career, it's a job. It's the unknown in your career or job, or it's the unknown in a relationship. It's the desire to find that special somebody, but, but you're sitting out here waiting like, like, God, when are you gonna bring them? When am I gonna find them? I'm nervous about my future. And I would say that if it's big enough for you to worry about, then I would say it's big enough for you to pray about. I think it's big enough for you to spend some time thinking about it because here's what I would tell you. And I believe this is absolutely true. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. I think it's on your mind. I believe it's on God's heart. We just read a moment ago in Philippians, and I want to take a moment just to kind of explain this a little bit. Um, in Philippians, it said this a moment ago. I said, let your requests be made known to God. Now, I've always found this really fascinating. So I'm gonna give you just a theological principle that we believe, that we teach here. The Bible would say this is true. We believe that we serve a God that knows everything, right? He's omniscience, omniscience, all knowledge. God has all knowledge. So in all reality, God already knows what you're struggling with. Like he knows what's going on in your heart and your mind right now. He knows. So it almost seems kind of counterintuitive to be like, well, why do I need to uh, let him know? If he already knows, that just seems silly. And yet the power sometimes is in you vocalizing and you saying the thing that is inside you, right? That's why counseling is such a big deal. That's why people go to counseling, right? It's not usually, and if you're a counselor, I'm sorry, I just don't think this is necessarily true. It's not that the counselor all of a sudden pulls something out of you that wasn't there. It said it was there and you finally got to a point where you could say it. 
It finally came to the surface for you to be able to say, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm going through. In fact, let me take it from a different angle. Um, I've got three kids, all right? I've got a, a 13-year-old, 11-year-old, and I've got a seven-year-old. I've got a little boy. Um, I've got two girls and a little boy, and, and my little boy, his name's Asher. Now, Asher just a couple weeks ago came to me and said, hey, dad, I don't want you sharing stories about me in church. <laughs> he's been in here before and heard me share stories about his sisters. He's like, so that's a no-go. So I'm gonna share one about him, so don't tell him I told him uh, this story. Um, but, but he's seven, and we have kind of a, a pretty, pretty set regiment at home with our family. Uh, when, it, when it's bedtime, we gather all the kids together, even though they have a little bit different bedtimes. But we gather together, get ready for bed at the same time. We go into Ariana's room, uh, my second oldest. I don't know why we chose her room. It's the gathering place. We, we gather there, and we read the Bible together as a family all at one spot. And then when we're done reading the Bible, we disperse them to their rooms. Like, you stay in your room, you go to your room, you go to your room. Let's just divide and conquer. And so at that point, my son will go into his room, and it's almost the same every time. I'll walk in and I'll, I'll say, hey, get to bed, dude. Like, I love you. I'll give him a kiss, right? I'll check on his day. I'll pray with him real quick. And then he'll always ask for mom. He'll be like, uh, send mom in. I'm like, okay. And so mom will come in and she'll read him a book and then she'll lay there in the dark with him for a little bit. But without fail, at this point, I've said goodnight to all the kids. I then find dad time. Like, it's, it's downtime. I go sit down in front of the TV, right? I get comfortable. I grab a drink, whatever. You know, like, I get comfy. But without fail, I get a text, the girls don't need me at this point, but I will get a text from my wife saying, he wants you, right? And I know what that means. It's my time to go back up to Asher's room, even though I've already been there and I've already said goodnight. But I'll come into the room without fail. He's laying there pretending to be asleep. The room is dark. I'll jump into bed. And the moment I do, he's instantly awake. And it's like, he thinks it's like, let's wrestle. And I'm like, no, it's bedtime. But as soon as I get him calmed down, I get him in the bed. The lights are out. Every night he does the exact same thing. He will grab hold of me and pull me close to him. And as soon as I'm laying on my side, he'll lay on his side. And he will get about this far from my face. He'll take his hands and put them on my cheek and he'll go, hey, dad. And in that moment, whatever's on his mind, he shares. It could be anything. It could be something from the day before, something from that morning, something from that book he just read. Whatever's on his mind, he releases to me in that moment. He just wants to talk about it before he goes to bed. And here's my point. I share that long, ridiculous story that you may not care about, but it matters to me. And the reason it matters to me is because I am not inconvenienced or upset that my son wants to spend that time with me. And I'm not a good dad. I wouldn't consider myself a perfect father. And yet in those moments, I don't think, man, I could be downstairs sitting in front of TV watching a show I really want to watch that I'm really into. In that moment, the fact that my son wants to spend a few moments with me sharing whatever's on his mind as a father does not bother me. And can I just tell you, you have a heavenly father that's so much greater than I am as a father who's perfect, who loves you, and he wants nothing more than for you to grab his face and pull him in and tell him about your day. Tell him about your life. Tell him about whatever is on your mind. He says, let your requests be made known. I want to know about them. And I think sometimes we can keep God at a distance. In fact, it was first Peter that said this. When Peter was writing, he wrote these words. He said, humble yourselves. In fact, would you say that with me? Say, humble yourselves. I think there's something powerful about this. Um, we don't necessarily like to humble ourselves. But he said there's something powerful when we start to realize that we don't have to do it on our own and we can actually put our pride to the side. We can humble ourselves. And he says, therefore, come under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. The word exalt here might be better off translated as lift you. So at the right time, he can lift you up. 
When you're feeling down, when you're feeling weighted down, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling overwhelmed, he says at the proper time, God can lift you up. And he says, cast all your anxieties on him. Say all your anxieties. He says, I want everything. I want all of it. I want what you're worried about. I want what you're struggling with. I want what, whatever's in the back of your mind that you just haven't been able to let go. He says, I want all of it. And he says, here's why, because I care about you. I care for you. I want this for you. You see, I think sometimes we can feel like we are down and out and God says, but I'm the one that has the power to lift you up. There's a story in the Bible that I've always loved. You've probably heard it. Many of you, if you've grown up in church, if not, um, let me kind of set it up for you. There's a time that Jesus was uh, teaching to a crowd and, and people gathered every time Jesus would preach, they would always gather. Why? Because he was a phenomenal teacher, preacher, storyteller. People always wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Well, at the end of this day, it was kind of coming to the end of the day, and Jesus decided that what they were going to do that night is they were going to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It was actually a large freshwater lake called Canaret, Lake Canaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he basically told his disciples, I want you to go ahead of me. He said, I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to go ahead. The Bible actually says he commanded his disciples to go to the other side. Now, I always like to kind of think about the story whenever I'm reading it, kind of really bring it into life. And I started thinking about the logistics of this. Jesus has just taught and preached. He wants to go off and pray quietly, which is what Jesus would normally do. He had a custom of breaking away and praying, which I think is powerful. We should learn from him. But he would break away and pray. And at this moment, instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna go pray, you guys hang out by the boat. And when I get back, we're gonna cross over together. Jesus commands them to go ahead of him. Now, if you're a disciple, you're probably thinking to yourself like, hey, Jesus, um, to get across the lake requires a boat. We have the boat. So how are we gonna go without you? And he's like, it's fine. I've got my own plan. And so this moment, they, they obey, they get in the boat and they start to make their way across the lake. Well, Jesus goes up on the side of a mountain to pray. And there as he's praying, it says that he actually could see them far off in the distance as they were making their way across the water, but the water has turned choppy. All of a sudden, a storm has come onto the water. It says that the wind had picked up. And so I've always found this interesting little detail that Jesus sends them into a storm. Right Now, he's the son of God. We find out later on in the Bible, in fact, in just a moment, we find out that she actually has power over the storms. Like he actually can speak them out of existence. And so I would say if he has the power to speak them out of existence, he has the power to speak them into existence. And so this moment, Jesus has done something kind of crazy. He sends his disciples without him into the storm. Like what kind of God would do that? And yet Jesus allows this, and it says this in the Bible. It says in Matthew 14, it says, they were beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. I want you to think for a second of times in your life where you have felt like the wind and the waves have been against you, metaphorically. Like times that you have been in space of life where you've been like, you know, I just feel like I am losing here and I am fighting a losing battle and I, I am just trying my hardest, but I can't seem to get ahead. I just can't see. I just, I'm in this place. I'm in this storm. I'm in a place I don't want to be. I'm in a place that I just, I, I don't know how I got here. I don't like being here. I don't like the consequences of how I got here. And now I'm feeling it and I feel like I can't seem to make it. And that's where the disciples found themselves. They found themselves literally in the storm. And here's what happens. This is where the story gets really interesting. Jesus recognizes that they're far off and they're in the storm. And so Jesus begins to make his way there, but he makes it there towards them in a very unconventional way. The disciples start looking out over the water as they're recognizing their storm. They're in the storm and they're alone. They're without Jesus. They're probably starting to have this moment of like, why are we here without Jesus? Like the safest place we could be with is with Jesus. But right now we're in the storm without Jesus. This is not a great place to be. And they look out over the water and they see a figure walking on the water. Now their first thought isn't, it's Jesus. 
And I love that we always like to read these, like, like we get to read it later and be like, why did they not know it was Jesus? Like they should have known better, right? It's Jesus. But that's not what happens. They instantly think, oh no, it's a ghost. This is bad. This is terrible. Like, like they're, they're having a freak out moment. I think we would do the same thing because like who walks on the water? And so all of a sudden they recognize that maybe it's Jesus. And so all of a sudden this encounter takes place and this is where I want to spend our time. Here's what it says. It says, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I've always found it kind of interesting to think about this. Like, like if I'm in a storm and I'm on a boat, the safest place to be if I'm on water and surrounded by water is in the boat, right? Not out of the boat. And yet Peter has this moment, it's like, hey God, if it's, uh, you know, if you're really God, if you're really Jesus, if you are who I think you are, um, command me to step into the waters with you. I want to get out of the boat into the storm with you. And here's what it says. He said to him, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I love this. I think Peter gets a, a bad rap in the Bible a lot of time. Like he's usually the guy that says stuff. He, should, he puts his foot in his mouth. He says stupid things like all the time. He gets picked on a little bit. Like, like even now we read him like, oh, Peter. You know, we, we tend to read him that way. And yet this is one of those moments that I don't feel that way about Peter. He's the only disciple that asked. He's the only disciple that said, you know what? If you're Jesus and you have the power, command me into the waters and I'm gonna walk. And I just, I'm trying to imagine what that moment had to be like for Peter. Like when Jesus goes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they come out. Like that first step had to be like, is this gonna work, right? He comes over the edge of the boat. And it's just like, okay, you know? <laughs> Second one comes, he's like, is this happening, right? This is real. And I bet there had to be excitement. Like there had to be this moment where he's like, this is amazing, like one foot after the other. Like, here we go. And the other disciples are like, Dang it, we should have asked. You know, like, like, I'm sure. I'm sure that's what's going through their mind. They're like, oh, this is a cool moment. But something happens. And I want you to see this. Here's what happens. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was, say it with me, afraid. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. I'm going to fill in some gaps here, all right? I'm going to go out on a limb here. I, I can't prove this, all right? Let me just say that. I can't prove this. This is just the way I read the text. The way I read the text is he said, if it's you, command me into the storm. Jesus said, come. He took a step out into the water. He took a step, second step out in the water. And what I imagine is in that moment, Peter had his eyes fixed on Jesus the entire time. It says he went to Jesus. In order to go to Jesus, you have to know where Jesus is and it's in the storm and he's walking towards Jesus. He has intentionality, he has confidence, he has purpose and he's walking towards the power that has allowed him to walk on the water. But in a moment of fear, in a moment of doubt, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he saw something else. Instead of seeing Jesus, he saw the problem that was around him. And all of a sudden, the problem became bigger than Jesus. And it says this, his fear drove him to a place where he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. You see, I can relate with this story maybe more than I want to admit because there are times that I take my eyes off Jesus and I allow my fear to drive me. I allow my fear to be the thing that overwhelms me and I allow the fear to dominate my mindscape. And when I allow fear to dominate everything that I am, I find that my faith shrinks. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to say. It says this, Jesus immediately, say immediately. 
I like the expediency of that. It says that Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little, say it with me. Faith. Why did you doubt? You see, Peter's faith was replaced by his fear. And his fear led to anxiety. And he said, in this moment, your faith had the power to overcome your anxiety. And it wasn't just your faith. It was your faith in me. It was your faith in me. And he says this. And when they got into the boat, the wind, what? It ceased. And those in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You see, in that entire circumstance, Jesus had the power over the storm. He had the power to create a storm. He had the power to cease a storm. I think in the moment here, there's this, this really cool moment for Peter that just says, hey, listen, either you're going to choose to humble yourself and you're going to keep your eyes fixed on the power source or you're going to allow the situation to humble you, but you have a choice. It's one of the two. And what happened was his fear led to, I believe, anxiety. And I think this is where we find ourselves. I think we find ourselves in what I would call a cycle of anxiety. Can I give it to you real quick? Here's how the cycle of anxiety works. Cycle of anxiety works with something going wrong in our life something going on that's unknown, some type of fear, some type of nervousness, all of a sudden it happens, a situation happens. And what we tend to do is we tend to try to take control of the situation, right? All of a sudden we're like, I'm gonna solve this, I'm gonna fix this, and here's the th things I'm gonna put in place to solve this problem, and that'll get rid of my anxiety. And so we then use control, but the problem is when control begins to take place in our life, we then have this fear of losing control, right? Anxiety leads to control, which creates more anxiety of losing control, which leads us to this little circle that we find ourselves in. We become anxious that leads to control. We have fear of losing control, so we become anxious, so we try to get more control, and then we just sit here and we go in a circle like a hamster on a wheel. And we're just in this place of anxiety, control, anxiety, control. And this is what I kind of want to say to you, all right? And this is going to be hard, hard for some of you to hear, but let me just put it out there. This is it. Control is an illusion, all right, let me say it a different way. All right, let's just try this. You are not in control. One more time. You are not in control. And even as I say that, there's a bunch of you in this room right now that go, you are wrong, sir. <laughs> I know it. I know it because in my DNA, I, I want to say that, but let me prove to you what I mean by this. You have choice. Choice is different than control. You have choices in framework that's been given to you in your lifescape, in your life circumstance and situations, but you're not actually in control. You can get a car right after leaving this service. You can get a car if you're online the next time you go to the grocery store and you could literally leave to go to a destination and never make it to your destination because another car that you have no control of can come out of nowhere and end your life like that. You can work out, eat healthy, do all the things that you think are good for your health, and you can go to the doctor and find out you have three months to live, and they will tell you there's nothing we can do about it. The last couple of years, some of us experienced, we thought, I can control my life, I can control my career, I can control everything around me, and then COVID happened, and you found out you didn't have as much control as you thought you had. Some of you have been in a relationship, and you say, I can control this relationship, but I think you found out at some point in that relationship that the other person you're in the relationship with has free will, and uh-oh, they can do what they want. And you may not have as much control as you think you do. You see, you have choice. You don't have control. And here's why I share this with you and why it's important. And you think this is bad news. It's actually not. I want to give you why it's good news because this is how you actually break the cycle. You break the cycle this way. When you realize that you don't have control and you realize you don't have to have it is the moment that you can trust God with it. Let me say it again. 
It's when you realize that you don't have control and you don't have to have it, that you can trust God with it. The moment you realize you don't need that control is the moment you can trust God with that control and you can cast your cares on him because he's good. That's the moment that it comes into fruition. You see, we think losing control is this horrible, awful thing. And I think losing control is one of the best things that can happen to us. Because all of a sudden, I'm no longer reliant on making everything happen. I'm reliant on God and his sovereignty and his power in my life showing up in a manifest way. That's the beauty of it. That's the power of it. Yeah, you can celebrate that. That's good. I'm preaching better than you're responding. I'm just saying. But, but, it's, but this is powerful. This is powerful. Now, let me just take you real quick. I want to take you back to this. Right, here's what it says. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so the proper time he may exalt you, casting your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want to talk about this for just one second. To cast means to throw away. To cast means to toss them away. You know what most of us do when we come to God? I'm just gonna give you what I did, all right? I won't pick on you. I'm gonna pick on me. I grew up in church and I remember going to church and man, the pastor would start preaching and be like, listen, we need to give that to God. And it could be anything. It could be anxiety, it could be cares, it could be trust, it could be sin, right? We need to give this to God. And I sat in a chair just like you're sitting in right now. And I sat there and I was like, pastor, that's a good word. I need to do that. I want that. I want to give that to God because God is good. He's got strong shoulders and he can handle it. So I'm going to give it to him. You know what I do? I come to the altar. We have an altar call. We don't do those anymore. Maybe we should. It'd be good for us. But we can't, we get up out of our chairs. We come up to the front and we would pray. We'd be like, you know, God, would you just take this sin? God, would you just take this care? God, would you take this anxiety? And we'd pray and we'd feel it. Man, the music we playing, like, let me play those keys. Yeah, just do it. Come on, turn it up a little bit for me, Adam. Right? And we just like, whoo, it's a good moment. Jesus is here. His presence is here. His power is here. We're just going to give this to him. And we'd just be like in that moment, all of a sudden the service come to end. Stop playing. And be like, all right, well, it's time to go home. And you know what I would do? I would take everything that I just said I'm going to give to God, and I would just go ahead and hold on to it. And i walk out the building with it. You can play again. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> and what we do is we'd hold on to it. Like we didn't give it to God. We just wanted to have a spiritual, emotional moment where we're like, God, I know that you say this, but, but you know what? I, I'll, I'll go ahead and hold on to it. And what we do is we'd say we want to give it to him, but we wouldn't give it to him. We'd just walk out the door with it. We'd do it again. He says, no, no, you have to cast it, not hold it and expect me to take it out of your hands. See, I think there's a difference between, all right, God, if you want it, you can come get it. God, you can, you can take it if you want it, but if not, it, it doesn't feel like you took it, so I'm going to go, I'll just hold on to it. The Bible says cast it. It means it's not an option for you to retrieve it. It's like, okay. This is for you, God. I'm giving it to you. And God's like, yeah, when you cast it, it releases you from it. And when it's released from you, all of a sudden, you can find freedom. And that's why we said this. He said, anxiety is a signal to pray. Why? So we go to God. And the pastor said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is a hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, give it to God. Let it be known to him. And this is the thing I want to talk about for two more seconds. Here it is. He says, in the peace of God. You see, God says that there's actually a peace that I have for you, a peace that is not yours, a peace that you can't get on your own, a peace that you can't control. He says, I have a peace for you that will actually surpass your knowledge and your understanding. It'll actually be a peace that doesn't make sense. And here's what that means. It means you can be in the middle of a situation, in the middle of a storm, that you don't want to be in and that you don't like, but yet you'll have a peace in the middle of it and you won't understand that. You'll be like, God, why am I calm right now? I shouldn't be calm. Everything around me is a mess. And he's like, yeah, it's the peace that surpasses your understanding because it's my peace. And what I love about this peace, it's the world cannot give you this peace. Only God can give it to you. It's only available through him. But here's the power, right? Listen, hold on. Here it is. This is the beauty of it. If the world can't give it to you, good news, the world can't take it away. It's his. 
He says, I'll give it to you, you can receive it. Yeah, come on, that's good. God says, I have that for you. So here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do, all right? We're gonna end the service in a weird way. All right, let's just get weird. Why not? We're at church. This is a place. All right, family time. I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet. Every single person, go ahead and stand up. We're gonna do something that is spiritual and physical. Here's what we're gonna do. Don't do it right now, but just in a second, in a few moments here, I'm gonna have you lift your hands just like this. All right, don't do it yet. Some of you are ready. You're like, let's go. I'm gonna have you lift your hands. And the moment what we're gonna do is I'm gonna ask you to do something that might seem weird. It might seem strange, all right? Some of you are already like, ooh, I don't like this. Just go with it, all right? I'm gonna ask you to imagine in your hands the thing that has been bothering you, the thing that has been causing you anxiety, the thing you've been worried about, and you already know what it is. Many of you know exactly what it is. Some of you, it's been finances, and it's been finances from the moment I started preaching. Some of you, it's been a relationship. It could be the person you're with right now or the person that didn't come with you today. It could be a job. It could be a career. It could be a future that you don't know about, an unknown thing that is just you're worried about it, you're concerned about it. What we're gonna do in a moment here is we're gonna lift it up to God, and we're gonna cast it. We're gonna give it to him. I'm gonna pray, you're gonna pray with me, but this is for you and you alone, this is your thing. You don't have to share it with anybody else. I'm not asking for it, God's asking for it. He already knows what it is. But he said, let your requests be made known to God. So let's just do what the Bible says, all right? Let's let God know the thing that we want him to have and let's ask for his peace that surpasses our understanding, amen? amen. All right, let's do it. Lift your hands, get them up, close your eyes. Right now, I want you to envision it. I want you to imagine it. I want you to see the thing. I want you to name the thing in your mind that you wanna to give to God right now. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in your power and your presence. And God, we ask in this moment that we can cast our cares upon you. That God, that we would humble ourselves and we would ask and we would give, that we would cast them upon you. That we'd give you our anxieties, our cares, the things that are stressing us out, the things that are causing us fear, the things that are keeping us in a place stuck when you want us to find freedom. God, I pray that we'd walk in that freedom. And so God, we right now ask for your peace. I ask for your peace that surpasses all understanding, all knowledge, peace that doesn't make sense. God, I pray in this moment we'd leave this place and we wouldn't pick back up the anxiety that we're giving to you right now, God, but that we'd give it to you, you would take it, and you would release us from it. It doesn't necessarily mean that our circumstance is gonna change in this moment, but it means that we will walk in your strength and your peace and your power while we walk right through the season you have us. God, I pray that you would have your way in this place and in our lives and we would trust you with it because you care for us. God, we need you. It's in your precious, your powerful, the name of Jesus that we pray and everyone said... Amen. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing together right now. Josh, would you lead us? Let's sing these words. Let's declare them loudly as we end our service time together. Oh, God, my God, I need you. Oh, God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Oh, rock, oh, rock, I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness.
with every head bowed, every eye closed in this place, maybe you came today and you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe it's not that you're sinking, you're just not, not near his hand. The Bible says that God has made a way for you to be redeemed and forgiven and given a hope and a future with him. And he says, listen, I wanna offer you this free gift of my forgiveness, my grace, my mercy, a decision that will start today and end someday in eternity. God says you can have that gift and all you have to do is believe in your heart. It's your faith that saves you. You have to believe in your heart that God raised his son, Jesus, from the dead and confess through your lips that he's your Lord, that he's your savior. And when you believe that and you trust that, he says, that's the moment that your life has changed. And so if you want that right now, I want you to just simply take a moment, talk to God, simply pray. You just say, God, thank you for your son, Jesus. I put my faith, my trust in his work on the cross for me and his resurrection. He's my Lord, he's my savior. And when you declare that, when you pray that, when you believe that, in that moment, God's grace is poured out in your life. He forgives you and he gives you a future with him. God, I pray right now for those that are committing to you, that are engaging that faith. I pray you'd send the Holy Spirit to guide, empower, lead them, change and transform them, make them yours. God, I pray in this moment that you do work that only you can do. Thank you for your word. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the challenge that we find in your word. We love you. We praise you. We pray this in your precious name. And the church said, amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe, visit our website at vail.church, and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.